Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of the Namely Marley podcast. I'm your host, Marley. On the Namely Marley podcast, I talk to inspirational people about living a creative, healthy, and passion-filled life. That includes healthy eating, writing, blogging, leading an active lifestyle, and living your best life. Need a little dose of inspiration? Let the Namely Marley podcast be your muse. Today's going to be a great show because my guest is Cindy Gershon, co-author of the Fat Chance Cookbook. So have you heard the latest talk about the bad side of sugar? Who knew that sugar, I guess it's like Anakin Skywalker looking sweet and innocent, but there's a dark side. Today's guest, Cindy Gershon, she has a message for us. Don't eat it. Cindy and I talk about the good, bad, and the ugly of dieting, and Cindy is chock full of advice after having lost over 100 pounds, and she's kept it off for over 10 years. Impressive. So I don't know about you, but I've decided I am never taking diet advice from people who are naturally skinny. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's the diet book of the week written by the celebrity of the moment that uh, tells us to eat this and not eat that. That's why I'm into people like Cindy, because they've been there, and they've done it, and they know what they're talking about. So let's dive right into the feature segment. This is episode 11 of the Namely Marley podcast. Bring it on. Today's guest is Cindy Gershon. She's a chef and owner of Sunrise Bistro in Walnut Creek, California. She's founder of Wellness City Challenge, a community health activist organization, and co-author of the book, The Fat Chance Cookbook, with Robert Lustig. Welcome, Cindy, to the Namely Marley podcast. Thank you for having me. Great. Did I miss anything about your bio? No, no, nothing. Wonderful. Well, you and I share something in common. Uh, we are both passionate about food. And I always feel like behind every good passion, there's a story. I wonder if you can tell me how uh, your passion for food started. Oh, my goodness, my passion for food. <laughs> Uh, you know, it started when I was a kid. My grandparents were um, on my mother's side were immigrants from Italy, and they we always had a garden. And my parents were really young when I was born. Um, they were 15 and 16. So my grandparents were more like my parents, so I stayed a lot with them. And they loved to cook. They would go in the garden and they would cook. They would, you know, like harvest things. And we'd come in and we'd cook together and make omelets. I was eating like asparagus omelets when I was like four years old absolutely loved it, loved vegetables, loved to be with people. My grandmother and grandparents always had a lot of people over because it was like a small Italian community and they were immigrants. So relatives and local people would come and it was fantastic. And they owned um, a poultry business and then my grandparents went on to own a catering business. Now I'm my parents are 15 and 16. So my grandparents are like 40 and 41. So they're really young. To me, they were old when I was a child, but they were like in the middle of, of like expanding and, and doing business here in California, especially in the Bay Area. So uh, I just got involved with that at a young age. And when I went to high school, the things that attracted me was um, home ec. So I love to cook. People would always say, oh, Cindy, let's invite her because she can cook. And so I love to cook. People enjoyed eating my food. I made things from scratch because that's what I was taught as a kid. And there's the beginning of my story. Wow. And any other questions? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I was just talking with my mom, and she was telling me about her grandmother that she said, you know, I think my grandmother was ahead of her time because she refused to eat white bread. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she always made you know, everything from scratch. from scratch. Yeah. We didn't eat bread. What you yeah. ate was, you know, we made homemade pasta. We made um, polenta. We made, you know, they were already using like barley and making soups and potatoes and roasting things. Uh, it didn't mean that we weren't overweight because my grandparents, my grandmothers specifically, loved sugar. Oh, my God, she so loved sugar. So we also had a lot of desserts, too. Um, my mother, being 15 when I was born, um, she did not breastfeed. She bottle-fed because that was what they did. I'm 58 years old, and that's what they did in the 50s. Nobody bottle-fed. It was, like, not cool. And until I met Rob, Dr. Lustig, um, and heard him speak about eight years ago, I didn't get the connection between what my mother fed me and how that contributed to me eventually becoming 100 pounds overweight and how I was going to get back from that. But uh, that's where it started. I was a bottle-fed baby. The formula of the day was pet milk and carol syrup. And uh, from there, I went to juice. And then I love. I mean, I did eat asparagus omelets, and I loved fruits and veggies, but I really loved sugar. And I love processed food. I love, you know, my grandmother's food was like, that's like old country. Even as I got older, old country food, that's old food. I wanted to go to McDonald's and Taco Bell and wanted to eat all of the fast food stuff, you know, as kids do. And uh, as I got older, I just, you know, I started to just put on the weight. And depression was enormous. Just, you know, always I'd look in the mirror and I'd say, oh, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I don't feel good. It had a lot to do with the food. So uh, when I met Rob Lessig um, about eight years ago, my husband's a pediatrician, and uh, I was trying to change. I've I've had my weight, and I'm kind of digressing here. I've had my weight off. Um, My top weight was 210 pounds, but I'm about uh, under 120 now. So I had taken it off about 15, oh wait, thank you, 15, 16 years ago because it was somebody, you know, I was sitting around, you know, what do women talk about? Dieting. And they were saying, God, you know, every time I go on these diets, I get the weight off and then I immediately, like, gain it back. And we're sitting around talking about it. He goes, oh, I heard about this group. You know, they don't eat any sugar. They don't eat any flour. I said, what's that about? So we started to talk. And so I thought, wow, you know, no sugar, no flour. Hmm. You know, that's what always kind of got in the way. And I'm thinking, how would I ever be able to live without, and I said, like, like no red licorice, no Reese's peanut butter cups. No, no cupcakes, no red velvet. I love cheesecake. I mean, just on and on and on. And they said, well, you know what? Just, you know, try it out. So I tried just like giving up the sugar and the flour, like no bread. Oh, my God, no pasta. But there's like all this other stuff besides bread and pasta. And uh, sure enough, the way within six months, I had like 60, 80 pounds off. And it was like, oh, my God. Now, mind you, oh, my God, it was, what was hard was going out to dinner and going out to eat. And since I own a restaurant, I said, oh, my God, my restaurant is killing people. So I began to change my restaurant. This is about 15 years ago because I wanted to eat there. So we went from white rice to brown rice. Um, we still make, we make everything from scratch, homemade breads and sauces and, and cakes and desserts. And, in fact, I used to make these called morning buns. We make our own croissanto. So, you know, croissanto is like 50% butter and flour. And I mean, that's it, butter and flour and sugar. And uh, you roll them up like a jelly roll and they're filled with brown sugar and cinnamon and you roll them up, you, you bake them like a muffin. 
and uh, and then you roll it in cinnamon white sugar. Well, I would get to work at two in the morning, and I'd have a cup of coffee and a morning bun as things were coming out of the oven. Crazy! I would be like high and then crash and high and crash and high and crash all day long. And uh, now, if we make two dozen, and I used to make five to six hundred a day, we make maybe two dozen. Cinnamon rolls, we made cinnamon rolls from scratch, all of these wonderful things. I mean, I was known for my baked goods. Um, and I had to shift and move from that. Was that hard uh, to do so? I mean, in other words, it's, it's one thing to make a change, but you were doing it in a very public way. Oh, my gosh. People were, je- and then I had to replace it. My staff were scared. They said, oh, my God, we have a fantastic business. So we're making a lot of money. And I said, I cannot do something to you that I can't do to myself. And it was like, I had this, like, like if you want to call it a calling or this, um, I became aware of it. I said, I cannot be part of harming people anymore. And let's move towards healthy people. Like, oh, God, you're crazy. You're going to ruin your business. You have this, yeah, I mean, it's, it was a Sunrise Cafe and Bakery. And um, I said, no, I have to shift. I have to change. I started looking at, you know, increasing the vegetables. We started doing roasted veggies. We started doing steamed vegetables. I already always had that stuff at my restaurant, but I didn't really put it forefront. It wasn't like, this is what I'm about. So it took me about four or five years to convince my staff we needed to work in this way. And then we started finding out, you know, 10, 15 years ago about trans fats and what it was doing. I led that around trans fats. I guess it was nine years ago. And when I met Dr. Lustig, my husband, who's pediatrician, he says, you got to gotta come here at this guy at the hospital. He's like, he talks just like you. And my husband is a pediatrician. He'd say, a calorie is a calorie. Who cares? You know, kids get through it. It's okay if they eat all white and white pasta. And I said, no, you cannot do this to children anymore. So when I went to hear Rob Lustig at, um, at Jamir, my husband snuck me and he says, no, don't say anything, Cindy. Just be quiet. So, it was a doctor's conference. Oh, uh, at the doctor's conference at the hospital. There must have been like 40 pediatricians. And uh, so he started talking about the link between sugar and that high fructose corn syrup was like 5% worse than, you know, sucrose, which is table sugar and honey and, and juice. And I'm just going, yes, I know, I know, and I'm listening. And the buffet for the pediatricians was bagels and donuts and pastry and juice. And I raised my hand and I said, Excuse me, Dr. Lustig, is there a giant disconnect between these pediatricians eating this? They knew you were coming, and they put this buffet out. My husband, I thought he was going to crawl under the table. He just looked at me like, <laughs> oh, my God. And everybody just, you know, they're eating their croissant. They just, like, they're, they, the, the, their mouth was full, and their, their jaw dropped open, like, is she really saying that? I mean, like, she just pulled the covers, and he started laughing. He said, yes. He said, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Well, if the doctors don't change and the facilitators and the people in charge don't change, there's no way, no way to change the people underneath them. You cannot tell the children, educate them to make their choices when the parents are buying the cookies, the cake, and candy and putting it in their backpack to send them to school. You cannot send the kids to school and they get, in our school, it's 80% are free and reduced and you walk in that cafeteria think, oh, it's education and, and exercise. I said, no, it's nutrition, education, and exercise. You kids say to me at our school, if it's not good for us, why would the school put it in the cafeteria? Mm. And I'm gone. Exactly right. right. And speaking of school, 
you've kind of transitioned this into, uh, well, you also teach students at an underserved high school. That's, that's where I'm at today. Um, I'm a full-time high school teacher at Mount Tattle High School, and I teach Food for Healthy Community. We go from farm to table. We have a whole pathway. We have an, we're an academy school, and I have English, science, and math teachers that work with me, and we incorporate it. One of the books, we incorporate it right into our curriculum. One of the books that we have is for our, um, uh, you know, our curriculum is uh, Michael Pollan's book, um, The Omnivore's Dilemma. That's what our juniors read. And that is um, in our English class, and they have to write about it. And then they come into this class, and they take food for, you know, food for uh, food service. Uh, And I teach them to cook everything from scratch, and they cook for the teachers. And then they cook for themselves, and they eat it. We also work with Cooking Matters, and they come in and they teach my kids. In fact, they were, they're here for this next three weeks. They're teaching my kids to be community activists, and they're bringing low-income families into my classroom in the afternoon at 4 o'clock after class is over, and my kids are going to teach the local community, Hispanic community, how to cook healthy food. And we're partnered up with the, um, oh, gosh, it's cooking matters, but it's one of the grocery stores by right, and it's through the USDA, and it's about getting people to eat healthy and teaching them so that they're just not eating meat and beans and tortillas. They're actually incorporating fresh fruits and veggies and whole grains. How it is exciting. Oh, it's so exciting. And the kids get a, a, a $300 stipend for teaching six classes. So here we have an impoverished community that lives below the poverty line. We're teaching their children how to cook and be healthy. They're in turn getting paid to teach their own families and community to be healthier, and it's bringing more money into their community. Mm. I mean, is that like a total win-win or what? It's a triple win. You can see, oh God, it is amazing what you can do when you engage the kids and you connect it, there's connection to job. They also have to stay in school. They've got to have a B average. I'm taking 17 or 16 of my kids um, that have been with me. This is their third year, the seniors. We're going to New York. We're going to Manhattan. We've rented a brownstone, and we've already paid for our airfare by donating our time and cooking for different people in the community and doing fundraisers. It's all paid. The um, the airfare and the, and the room, we're going for six days, and we're going to teach in the South Bronx, and we're going to Harlem to teach what we know about changing food and nutrition. How exciting. I'm very excited. So that's why, here's my next question. How do you find the time for everything? Oh, my goodness. My husband says the same thing. <laughs> he says, are you crazy? It's like I get up at 4.30 in the morning. Half the time I'm at the grocery store, I'm shopping, or I'm picking up what people have donated to us, and then I get here at school at about 7 a.m., the kids meet me. We make a healthy breakfast. They're, it's like a clubhouse here. I get like, you know, 60, 70 kids that come in for breakfast to get a healthy breakfast. And then they're washing dishes and cleaning and cooking. And then they go to class. And then I get, you know, then I start my classes, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And we're cooking and I'm teaching the, the chop. And the um, other side of my pathway is environmental science. So we have this big two-acre um, farm here at the school that we're developing and uh, we're ag certified, so everything we grow can be used in the cafeteria or in my classroom, and we can feed it to kids. It it, it is so inspiring to be um, around these kids that want to learn and be better. 
and they have the diseases, you know, we talk about type 2 diabetes, the impact of sugar, um, obesity, um, uh, acne, asthma, uh, ADHD, all of the things that are acerbated by too much sugar in your diet and becoming dose-dependent. And they're just like, oh, my God, you ruined it. I can't eat at McDonald's. I'm not against McDonald's. I'm for real food. So I never tell them, don't eat this. I say, here, eat this, and this is the amount that you should have. I mean, these kids have me. Most of them have me for a double block, two hours a day for a semester, and then I switch with the environmental science teacher. And it changes their palate. It changes their life. I give them the information. I give them good nutrition. They have, you know, they're moving around and working the garden. There's your exercise. And then I give you, I, you know, nutrition, education, the education that goes with it. And this is how you do it. I teach them to chop. I teach them to, you know, recognize what is kale, what is Swiss chard, what are, what's okra, how to handle frozen foods, what happens if I have a very small budget, how do I roast things, how do I dice things, how do I steam things. They learn all of these things. And within two to three weeks, I have them up and cooking, my 15-year-olds, and I say, okay, we're going to be cooking for 100 people. And the kids go, okay. And it was like, oh, my God. You're kidding. You're you're going to have these kids and teach 30, four kids will be teaching 30 adults in a cooking class. I go, yeah, they're 15. They can do it. And they feel it. So what, what do you think happens when they go out for a job? It's just like, hey, slam dunk. I know how to do this. I know how to chop. I know how to hold a knife. I know what all these vegetables are. So places like Whole Foods are on our advisory board in the Hilton. They said, please give us employees that understand about health and nutrition and how to handle a knife and chop these things up and cook it. I said, no problem. Here's your entry-level employees. It's amazing. Yes, and, and you may be, who knows, after this program, they may be inspired to take on nutrition as their career. Yes, and I'm already seeing that. This is year three. These kids are, are applying and getting into colleges, and they're going for nutrition to be nurses, to be um uh, personal trainers, you know, it, all of the things that have to do with health and education because they feel so confident. And they're, you know, I'm pushing them and they're brilliant. I, I mean, I'm kind of jumping around. But these kids are brilliant. They're bilingual. They speak two languages. Oh my gosh. I said, you guys are already ahead right there. And now you can work. You understand how to take care of yourself. You're bilingual. You're, you're educated. You can read and write. You can do a PowerPoint presentation. You can talk to the community. You can rub shoulders with elected officials. You know how to be out there in the community and, and help others. Oh, my God. You can go anywhere. Those are great life skills. Great. Yeah. Great, great. That's wonderful. So, you know, I was preparing for this interview with you last night by doubling up on my desserts because I was worried that after I talked to you, I would feel compelled to never eat sugar again. <laughs> Is that the case? Do you never eat sugar again? <laughs> I haven't had sugar in 15 years. I have, I, I eat fruit three times a day. I do not have any, I had a stroke about 10, 12 years ago, um, a slight stroke. And I've had real high cholesterol, and my grandfather died of a heart attack. My grandmother had a brain tumor. My father had pancreatic cancer. You know, these are direct. In fact, my little brother, um, I'm 58. My brother's 52 years old. He's an athlete. My brother um, got arthritis. He was on the tour for, he was in, I guess it was 1982, 
for the Olympics for wrestling. My fa- my brother won um, state champion. He went to Japan on the tour. He was at uh, um, UC Bakersfield. The Olympics were in L.A., and he got um, arthritis um, in his knee, so he could not participate in the Olympics. He was there, but he could not wrestle. My brother has always been an athlete, always been um, involved in fact, he's the coach at the local high school. Um, and two weeks ago, my brother's never been overweight, but he loves his soda, and he loves to eat red licorice, and um, he doesn't really like vegetables, but he'll eat an apple and carrots. And my brother doubled over in pain. They rushed him to the hospital. He had a foot and a half of his intestines. He had diverticulitis. Foot and a half of his intestines taken out. And he has a colostomy bag now. And it'll be for about maybe two months. And then they can rehook him up. Man does not have an ounce of fat on him. He is wonderful. I mean, physically. And, but he, you know, he would get bummed sometimes and didn't feel so good. And, you know, but he work, he works out a lot. And the doctor said to him, this is a direct result from your food. You have the standard American diet, which we call fad, which is too much processed food, too much sugar, and not enough fiber. And my brother could have died. That's my brother. And this is his doctor that said that? This is his doctor. And my brother... That's amazing, because it seems like I uh, oftentimes will hear people will say, you know, they just were recently diagnosed with diabetes or some other chronic disease, and there's no mention of changing their diet. Oh, God, that's what this guy said. He says, this is your diet that did this. Absolutely your diet. And you might be a little predisposed to that, you know, genetically, and that's what Lusk says. Part of it is genetics, a small part, but a lot of it is lifestyle. Now, I had a 70-80% chance of a stroke, another stroke and a heart attack if I did not change how I was. Today, because of the way that I eat and I keep my weight down, I have a 4% chance of a heart attack or stroke. From an 80% to a 4% because I changed my food, that's like crazy. And I have more energy. I mean, I'm, it, I have more energy than like a 16-year-old, except when the 16-year-old <laughs> starts like eating it. like me. Yeah. I mean, I'm just Listening to your schedule, energized. I think you have to have a lot of energy. Oh, my God, you have to. But it's also, it's I eat to give myself energy. That's what food's for. And when you can match it with pleasure, like when you're putting wonderful herbs and, and things that you grow from the garden. Today we roasted potatoes. And we put Brussels sprouts, you know, whole Brussels sprouts and red potatoes. And we took uh, chicken legs and thighs. And we tossed them in just a little extra virgin olive oil and fresh rosemary from the garden. And we put carrots in there, too. And we roasted at the oven at 400 degrees. The kids lost their mind. It was so delicious. It was really we, good. It, that sounds oh delicious. Oh, my God. It was so amazing. It was $1.75 per person. And we had sliced apples and we had a kale salad with it. The kids ate everything. That's an interesting point and, you raised because I think a lot of people think healthy equals expensive. Oh, uh, no. But it not isn't necessarily the case. Oh, not at all. Not at all. We, we, oh, we took a head of cauliflower. We got them on sale because cauliflower is a winter vegetable. Maybe not when it's 19 below or 19 above, but it's not growing. <laughs> but here, cauliflower is a winter vegetable. We took the whole head of cauliflower, took a half a cup of of plain yogurt, a half a cup of ricotta cheese, 
I mixed it together. I put some Parmesan cheese, whatever herbs you could put, dill. Uh, the kids like uh, to use curry, a little um, cayenne. They like everything spicy. And a little um, cumin. And mix it together. And you frost. You frost. You put First, you put a little olive oil and salt on the cauliflower. The whole head. I'm talking the whole head. You rinse it off. Put a little olive oil, a little salt. Then you spread it like you're frosting a cake. You put your oven on 400 degrees. You pop it in the oven for an hour and 15 minutes. It makes a wonderful crust and cooks the cauliflower on the inside. Meanwhile, I also take the chicken legs and the potatoes, and you can put carrots in there too, toss it in the oil with the herbs. I put them all in the oven at 400 degrees, an hour and 15 minutes, the whole entire meal is done. And the kids just eat everything up because it's so delicious. And, and they get to see it, and it's gorgeous. I'll, I'll text you the picture of it. I can't wait. Yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love oh, to yeah. see that. So you mentioned no flour, too. Is that, is that, not, is that gluten-free flour or no flour? No, no flour. I don't care if it's gluten-free or whatever. It's got no fiber. I'm not going to eat it. What about whole wheat flour? That has fiber in it. Whole wheat. That's not intact. And that's what Rob, Rob says. If it isn't intact, then you don't you you it'll it'll cause your insulin level to spike. You want it to you want the soluble and insoluble fiber to be together. So it's kind of like a basket, and it's and if you can see that the insoluble insoluble fiber is like the weave, and then like if you were to mud the basket so you could carry water in it, and and the soluble fiber is like the mud, and inside of this basket would be your nutrients, your minerals. Um, your your you know the natural occurring fructose um, inside. So as it you chew it and it goes through your body through your intestines, it slowly the the insoluble fiber kind of scrubs the inside of your intestines. The soluble fiber is kind of breaking down and it's letting it's releasing you know the vitamins and the minerals slowly and it keeps you um, you know you, you you you're not hungry you're you're kind of satisfied. And it slowly breaks down as it goes through your intestines, and then it does things like, you know, keeps your intestines um, pink. That's what my brother needed. He needed that more, that real fiber. And uh, it also, um, you, you, you poop, you feel good, you kind of get things out, it, it kind of cleanses you, and it works together. When you take it and you, um, you chop it all up, you stick it in a blender, or you grind it up, you break that fiber wall. And then it just gets up. It doesn't go slowly through your system. You might keep a pink colon, but you're not slowly releasing those minerals and nutrients. And I just think of my food as being a delivery service for energy in my body all day long. I also don't snack. I don't need to snack because my body needs to fast between meals and let everything go through and kind of, okay. You know, you're you're cleaned out at the end. Okay, I'm fasting. It brings my insulin level down, which is going to keep my weight down. To be able to keep this almost 100 pounds off for 15 years, it's because my insulin levels stay down. I don't count calories. I just eat portions. I have a salad. I have vegetables. I have a piece of fruit. I have a glass of milk or a half a cup of yogurt or, you know, I eat a small amount of protein and I'm not obsessed, and I eat, and I enjoy my food, and I have an enormous amount of energy. And you're not hungry all the time? Never. Oh, I want to eat. Oh, honey, I love to eat. I love food. <laughs> I love the taste of good food. 
that's something else we have in common. Yeah, but there's a difference between being hungry and enjoying food and not being able to be satisfied and looking for that, you know, is it almonds I want? No, is it crunchy? Is it th- I have no obsession with food, but I have a real enjoyment, and I never felt that peace till I was able to enjoy whole foods that satisfied me. And there's a difference. You mentioned uh, not snacking in between meals, and I, I think... Um... Sometimes when you're hungry, food tastes better anyway. Oh, my God. Your insulin level has to go down so that you can actually taste the, 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 um, the sugar, the naturally, the, the polysaccharide, if it's a starch or a grain, or the simple sugars that are in fruit. That's where you should be getting your simple carbohydrates from or from whole fruit. And then you can actually taste the sugar in that or the sweetness in a sweet potato, or the sweetness in a zucchini that was just picked, or that flavor in a tomato, you know, you roast that tomato and you just, it bursts in your mouth. If your insulin level's up, you cannot taste it, because it, it, you, you, you don't, you, you need to want to eat because your body's hungry. It throws off this, like, yeah, what's what this? If you're constantly eating, you never... You never really get an appetite. You're just kind of unsatisfied. And I'm against giving children snacks, too. I think kids need to wait two hours before they eat, two to three hours. And I think adults need to be four to six hours between the meal. And when, when I get done with dinner, I'm done. I don't go looking around for something to eat. I had dinner, done, kitchen clothes, wash the dishes, let's get out of here. <laughs> kitchen is closed for the night. <laughs> yeah. And I tell the kids that too, you didn't, yeah. Do you think that sometimes we blow out our taste buds if we're, you know, it seems to me like your taste buds can change. And if you're eating nothing but sugar, how, how would you even know how good an orange is? Yeah, yeah, no, you can't, you can't taste it. And, you know, it doesn't take that long to get it back. Give yourself like a week of just spacing your meals out. Three, all you need is three meals. Unless you're a diabetic, you might need four. But even that, I've been, I've, been, I've you know, helped diabetics you know, because of my husband and people that I've known, people call me up, oh, Sharon, can you help me with the food? Yeah, I can show you. I tell the diabetics, in about a week to two weeks, I can start to get you off your, your insulin. If you're a type 2 diabetic, you'll have to bring your insulin level down because once you stop eating the processed food and you start eating whole food, you don't need as much insulin. So my goal is to keep everybody under 100 because if you can keep your, your, your insulin level under 100, you will not be storing fat. People that are taking insulin have a hard time losing weight because they're, every time they take that shot of insulin or they go over 100, their body automatically stores it as fat. Have you watched the Skinny and Obesity, Lustig's um, from UCSF? They've got a six or eight part series on their little 10 minute vignettes. It's called UCTV on YouTube. The skinny on obesity, and he explained exactly what happens in the body. It's amazing. I showed it in my class to the kids. It's fantastic. Excellent. I'll I'll leave that as a link on this post. So that's great. So what did you so eat you last night? No, you got to tell and- me what you ate last night. What did you double dose on sugar? <laughs> <laughs> I want the dirty secret right now. Well, I've made two different things for Valentine's Day. I made uh, these chocolate strawberry. They're almost like brownie bars, but uh-huh. they're, it's a, it's with a cake mix of all things. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, I will say I have a thing with uh, 
uh, chickpeas. Uh-huh. And so uh, I do have a whole can of chickpeas in there. So there's some fiber. That kind of helps, right? Yeah, but you mashed it up. Get it? Yeah, I did. Chew it. You, chew, you know, it's that. People say to me, well, what if it's organic? And I picked it from my garden, I picked the oranges from my tree, and I juiced it and drank it right away. I said, if you juiced it and you took out the fiber, all that's left is the fructose, and that's going to shoot your insulin level up. They said, no. I said, yes. Eat the fruit, don't drink the juice. We had, a, we had kids in here, and I'll send you the picture of this also. We had um, uh, this kind of overweight young woman, and um, a, a very thin young woman, and uh, one is Hispanic, one is African-American. And um, I said, you know, you could not eat as much, eat as many oranges as to make a glass of orange juice. And they said, no way, the girl so the young girl says, oh, I love oranges. So they, in the front of the class, they, for every orange that she squeezed, the other girl ate one. She got the six oranges. She was like, she, she wanted to throw up. Six oranges wasn't even eight ounces of orange juice. The overweight girl drank the orange juice, and I said to the girl that had eaten the African American girl that had eaten the oranges, I said to her, "So, do you want to eat breakfast?" She says, "Eat breakfast." She says, "I'm going to throw up. I'm so full." And she had to run to the bathroom. The other girl drank the juice from the six oranges, and I said, "Can you eat breakfast now?" She goes, "Oh yeah, I'm starving." There's the difference. And the calories between the two you, are you probably break, the same? Oh, my God. The calories are the same. But what she did to her insulin level was she shot it up. So her insulin level, of course, spiked. And she stored part of those calories as fat because that's what insulin does. It takes whatever sugars around there. And if you watch the skinny and obesity, it'll explain exactly what happens to your body. You store them as fat. So if you're going to diet and you're doing Jenny Craig or you're doing one of these diets where they're giving you the skinny bars and then they're just doing calories, but they aren't taking out the sugar and they're not doing whole grains or just doing just calories. Like, oh, here's the pizza and it's got, you know, so many calories, counting calories. In two weeks, you won't be able to stay on that diet because your insulin level keeps going up. You go, how come I'm not losing weight? Or I lost weight right in the beginning, but now I can't stay on this diet, and I'm just actually feeling, I feel like I have no energy, and I'm feeling like um, I'm starving to death. You are, because every time your insulin shoots up, it takes 25% of those calories and stores it as fat, which, as you, and then you have to eat less and less. Rob explains the whole thing, and when he, when he I, after I'd met him eight years ago, nine years ago now, I would not let him go. And it's, we talk about that in the book. I said, tell me everything. I was in tears because he was able to tell me what was going on in my body all those years that I tried to diet and I did the OptiFast and I did Weight Watchers and I did um, Jenny Craig and I had my jaws. I had braces when I was 26. I had my dentist wire my jaw so that I wouldn't eat. So what I do? I drink shakes. He said, so what happened? I said, I gained weight. He said, of course you gained weight. And it was like, that's how crazy I've been around the food, just trying to take control of it, not knowing it was the sugar and the refined carbohydrates. He said, we're in a toxic environment. So there's no way to win if you're trying to cut calories or be in, how can you be in control of a substance that can't be controlled? 
So yeah, absolutely, especially if you're putting your body in a deficit to begin with. Yes. I yes, mean, it sounds yes, a little yes. bit like what they talk about with credit cards. So, you know, yeah. if you only make the minimum payments, uh-huh. the interest fee is higher every month. You're, you're raising the limit before you're even making a payment. That's exactly what it is. I'm like, tear yes. up those credit cards. Tear up the sugar credit <laughs> cards. <laughs> Just keep it paid off every month. Oh, right. Same thing with, the, with your diet. Then. Oh, my God. But if you take, um, I take frozen berries, um, blackberries, raspberries, and blueberries, and I'll put a little, um, I'll, I'll chop up an apple, and I'll the, the pectin from the apple actually makes it like, um, like a, like a, uh, it's like a compost. I don't cook it very much. I just heat it just up, and that's what I use at my restaurant when I serve you whole grain pancakes that are. I may I use oatmeal and I use um, uh, 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 oat bran egg whites, grated apple, yogurt, and um, and we mix up nuts or pancakes. They're called the no fat. I'm not even that I have had those on for years and it's not even the fat. But that that is the compote is that I serve with those. Everybody comes in and eats those pancakes because they're understanding through education that they need whole grains and it's okay to have fruit. But maple syrup, so I don't care if it's organic maple syrup, that your grandmother personally puts, you know, makes it and boils it herself. That is just as bad as eating um, Aunt Jemima's pancake, um, pancake syrup. It's a sugar. It's still going to rise. It's still going to make your insulin level go up. I don't care if it's organic cane sugar from the islands. It, 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 it's sugar, sugar, sugar. If it doesn't have the fiber... It will cause your insulin level to go up. And Rob and I were talking a couple weeks ago about the glycemic index. He said the glycemic index, you know, giving up potatoes, giving up anything that's real is that we shouldn't be thinking in terms of glycemic index. We should be thinking in terms of fiber. What things have more fiber in it than they have fructose in it? And most everything has the sugar in it, all your grapes and your mangoes and your cherries and such. So eat small amounts of those. But um, things like, like, you know, cantaloupe and um, I eat apples and raspberries and things like that. I eat three fruit today. I have two or three cups of either milk or nonfat, you know, or just regular plain yogurt. And yogurt and milk have lactose in it. So you'll see it says so many grams of sugar, but that's the lactose. That's different. It's surrounded by a protein, and the sugar is with inside of that, and that's kind of like fiber, so you can't add that sugar. But what the industry has done is you go to get those those yogurts that have fruit in it. You don't know how much is naturally occurring and how much is added. So we really, and in our book, we put all of the added sugar in anything that we made. So mostly everything except for the desserts has zero added sugar to it. We have, you know, homemade tomato um, ketchup, homemade barbecue sauce that has no added sugar. It's naturally occurring in maybe in the tomatoes or um, in the vinegar, the balsamic vinegar has naturally occurring. But any, um, any added sugar, we don't have any added sugars. But I do have some desserts in my recipe book but I don't, you know, it's, I don't think people shouldn't have them. I just think that you need, a, you need to have 
um, know what the limit is. And American Heart Association, both Rob and I sit on um, the 2020 task force out here in California, and they've come up with guidelines for sugar. Um, a child under the age of two, maybe four grams. That's that's one one teaspoon of added sugar, and that's like like. I don't know, a quarter of a cup of apple juice. You shouldn't even give a child under the age of two apple juice. But how many people are giving their children, you know, juice? And from the ages of and they think it's healthy. And the ages of two to um, two to ten or two to twelve is twelve added grams. Um, That's not very much. That's like three teaspoons of um, of sugar added a day. That's like um, a scoop of ice cream. A um, a can of Coke has 36 grams or 36 or 46 grams of sugar. So it's like a sip of a Coke would be fine. Um, for an adult, like a woman like yourself or myself, 24 grams of added sugar. I think that's high. But American Heart Association says at this point, you start becoming dose dependent anytime you go over 24 grams of added sugar a day. What has 24 grams of added sugar? Well, you eat those um, yogurts in the morning, go play yogurt, and you can end up with 36 grams of sugar in there. So, and aspartame, you know, we had talked about um, the NutraSweets and all of the fake sugars. Your body, your brain goes, or your palate says, oh, I just got sugar. You're, he, they believe, Rob says, that they've been finding that your insulin level goes up in the anticipation of getting the sugar. And that's why people that are doing a lot of diet sodas and using a lot of aspartame, they can't seem to lose any weight because their bodies are constantly craving more of it because they didn't get the energy that they thought they were going to get. So you just want more. And I said, oh, my God, I used to drink like 10, 15 diet sodas a day. And I was constantly putting the packages of stuff on my food and it was like, I had to give that up too. So I gave up the sugar, but I never gave up the NutraSweets and stuff. So I thought, whoa, you know, this has no sugar, no calories. And when I gave that up too, then I was really able to, con- you know, not have a problem with my weight. I wasn't craving things all the time. So so is it possible, like you had said earlier, that, um, you know, when your insulin goes up, your body starts depositing things in fat. Yeah. And if you're drinking a diet soda and that diet soda causes your body to think your insulin, you know, you're, you're eating something sweet, your yeah. insulin goes up. Yeah. And, you're... and then whatever you're eating gets stored and then you have a harder time to take the weight off. I'm just like, yeah, that was my story. You know, that was absolutely my story. And what's in a diet soda? It's a delivery system for sugar and caffeine and sodium. We love that stuff. It's so addictive. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and boy, think how much cheaper it is not to be buying diet soda yeah. and all the sugar yeah. and all the flour. Yeah. Save some money. Yeah. We actually think that it's cheaper to go to McDonald's or to fast food. And I, you know, I'm not passing on McDonald's at all. I'm just saying processed food in general, it's really all the same food. They're getting it from the same few farmers and, you know, our big ag. Um, and they're just putting a different picture on it. It could be a jack-in-the-box. It could be golden arches. It could be Arby's or whatever. And it's basically the same stuff, and they just put a few extra spices or changed it around. But we really need to um, be consciously aware of the food that we're putting 
the the energy source, the energy that we're putting into our body, especially to our children. We are going to lose a whole generation of kids to diabetes and asthma and you know, cancer, all of the things that are so prevalent in a body that isn't being cared for. Well, Cindy, I have really enjoyed talking with you today. I have one final question. I love to talk to people about their names, so I'm just curious. Do you have any stories about your name, Cindy, why your parents picked that name? Oh, gosh. Well, Cindy is the name. And, uh, that's, um, and it was a Greek, I guess it means um, balance. It means balance and justice. And my last name, my maiden name was Justice. So my parents... That's why they named Cynthia. That sounds like a very appropriate name for you, since balance seems to be a big part of what you're talking about. Oh, and I'm a Libra also. So (laughs) my life has been about trying to balance it out. So here my name is Cynthia, and it's balance. And my last name was Justice, J-U-S-T-I-C. That was my... And I used to go, oh my God, I hate that name, you know? And because I'd get joked about it. But, you know, that's really what it's all about, you know, finding, what, what about food justice? What about how we treat children? What about how we treat our bodies? You know, and then getting balanced. And I'm not against processed food. I'm for health and nutrition. I'm for education. I'm for being honest and open. I'm for vitality. You know, I'm for loving life and living not just long, but living, um, having a quality of life so that you feel good and you enjoy every moment of it. What a wonderful note to end it on. Cindy, thanks so much for being my guest today. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. Just a couple of quick announcements here at the end of this episode. First, you can find links related to this episode on the podcast page at namelymarley.com forward slash podcast. Thanks to my handsome, hunky, and talented show producer and guitarist, Sean Bielman. Don't worry, I'm not objectifying him. He's my husband. He likes it when I say that. Also, if you've not yet joined the Namely Marley newsletter, now's your chance. You'll get updates on my latest blog posts and podcasts, too. Just head on over to NamelyMarley.com and click on subscribe. My next episode will feature Deborah Smith of the lovely and delicious blog Smith Bites. We talk about the importance of integrity and the joy of blogging, along with her growing video and photography business. Exciting stuff. In fact, I think you'll love it more than your luggage or your money back. That's just the way we roll at Namely Marley. That's it for this episode of the Namely Marley podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember, there's creativity inside each of us. Find ways to connect with yours to discover new pathways and interesting destinations.